Hello, and welcome to the So She Travels podcast. I'm your host, Vicky, from the travel blog, VickiFlipFlopTravels.com. I'm here to chat with today's most vibrant female travellers about the why, where, and how of their travels. We're here to inspire you to see our world, to discuss the issues us women face travelling, and to talk about a few of the more interesting ways you can do it. Each week we'll pick a destination, a topic or two, and discuss. Don't forget to press subscribe, and if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating and a review. This week I'm joined by Becky Enright. Since we first met, I think about eight years ago, she's lived in Cambodia, in Greece, and now Austria. And in between, she's travelled to some destinations a few of us would never even dream of. Places like North Korea, Iran, and currently Tibet. She's worked in PR forever and has a travel blog at bordersofadventure.com. Her whole ethos is to travel to change perceptions. Her blog posts from her trips are probably some of the most detailed you will ever see. She really wants to give her readers as much information as possible to get the most from their trip. I find her travels and outlook fascinating and definitely a deeper breath of fresh air compared to some of the travel content out there right now. So let's get her on. Hello, Becky. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Where are you right now? Um, I am at home in Vienna. I moved here three years ago. So, um, yeah, this is the unglamorous side of our travel blogging lives. But, um, yeah, cosy, cosy home in Vienna in Austria. Pretty glamorous, though, living in Vienna. Was that a dream? How come you ended up there? Um, I always try and make a very, very massive long story short but in essence it was um travel for two years so I was constantly moving started to crave the normality that you at first push away and not want and then um, moved to Athens for about 15 months uh love and champion the city always will but it was difficult to live there after a while worked in Austria twice and then visited Vienna either side of being in the Western Tyrol and um, was like, okay, this is cool history, architecture, good coffee, um, really interesting place to settle, good quality of life and obviously like a lot of stories here as well and the chance to do more in Austria. So um, that's that in a nutshell. And then, yeah, met a local man and now staying here. (laughs) It all came together in an unexpected way, aside from work as well. So it's always good to, um, yeah, be challenged and be proven wrong and, yeah. Have... So all, all is good at the moment. That was kind of your journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's, um, it's interesting that a lot of us in this industry have done the same. Um, yeah. And yourself, you know, with your, with your new house and everything, you, you push all that away. Like, I don't want this and I want to be unconventional and I want to, be crazy and out on the road and and a big majority of us have gone back to the oh you know I kind of want my own space and my own thing yeah. yeah and the only the only difference that I made is that I, I still wanted a bit of challenge like I like to be challenged by being in different cultures and different scenarios and having to troubleshoot in scenarios that are not ones that I necessarily know or have grown up with and so I think that's why I still craved normality and, you know, living 
normally essentially but in a different country so it kind of balances both desires really yeah because we met um I don't know like eight years ago or something we kind of started our blogs at a similar time hadn't we and then obviously all the other bloggers that we met at that time were all going off traveling and going off doing cool things and then as you say a lot of them have sort of come back to England really yeah when I think when I think of our little group from those times everyone's sort of come back to England but you've carried on well not carried on traveling full-time but you've made a new place your home which is yeah I mean it's like I don't dislike England at all like I think there's so much beauty and history and interest it's just I think my personality has always been just to be constantly challenged Mm. um, in a way like I need to sit still at the same time so I think it's an ideal balance for now who knows how I'll feel in 10 years time but for now it's it's it feels like the right thing to do and feels good yeah. yeah so I know you as a definitely as an intrepid um traveler you've been to a lot of destinations that would scare people or just intimidate people um yeah. so can you introduce your travels and your kind of attitude to travel to anyone that's not familiar with your blog yeah so I actually started out doing the general like backpacking thing but my route was different so there is like a standard backpacking route through Southeast Asia and um you know Australia and all of that kind of stuff and there's nothing wrong of course um and I did and have been to those places but what I did was I just always had this desire to go to places that were a bit lesser known um and not necessarily because I think there's a lot of bragging rights around certain countries and I don't believe in that I don't think you should just go to somewhere to say like oh I've been there just because you think it makes yourself look better but a yeah. lot of it based on like this deeper desire of understanding um different cultures and different people and also because I've always been a bit nerdy on the history front so I landed in China because I was going overlanding in Mongolia and then I was back in China because my next trip was North Korea and that's basically how I started my my two-year backpacking journey which is completely unconventional in a sense um and then after I came home um after 15 months I did the same thing I just kind of told my parents like oh I'm going back on the road for six months um I've decided to do Istanbul to Iran so I went through the Caucasus and I had every intention to go to northern Iraq and then all of the ISIS stuff kicked off in the region. So it could right. put a dent in. And so um, I think a lot of it is down to curiosity. And with that on my website, I use that to help change perceptions of these countries through travel. So that incorporates things like um, traditions and food and even if I'm hiking somewhere like I do a lot of crazy adventure stuff and I love hiking and nature but ultimately it's to bring all of those things together to say to somebody yes you can travel here these people are not the governments Um, this country is not all of the bad things that you hear about in the media and the whole essence that to be there and to meet those people and to do those things is completely different and gives you a different perspective and um, just makes you very aware of what you're fed from outside sources. And until you go there and experience it yourself, you'll see that places are much safer than you assume they are. Um, 
people are much different to what you think they are and how much you learn about yourself and like your privilege and, and the information that you're given isn't always necessarily the truth. So there's lots of elements that come into it. But yeah, perception changing is the overarching theme. But so some of the destinations that you go to are destinations that aren't that you're not really advised to go to. How do you how do you decide which ones are safe enough for you to go to? I think these days it's pretty obvious that there's a, there's a fine line between um, saying, oh, I want to go to Yemen versus I want to go to Iran. And right. I think I think we underestimate the um, common sense of a lot of people. And I think it's fair to say that nobody should or wants to go to a war zone. And I think that that, that part's really obvious. Um, yeah, I'm sad I never got to go to Syria 10 years ago when I actually had planned to go, but I wouldn't go there now just for the sake of saying like, oh, I want to see every mm. country in the world. So I'm going to like pay some dude to get me through the border and I'll go there for a couple of days and tick it off my list. Like that's really stupid. And that's not something that I would ever encourage anyone and not even my readers to do. Like it's, it might make for a fun blog post for some people that's very much like vice territory, but I wouldn't do that and I wouldn't encourage it. Whereas somewhere like Iran, where sure it's in the media because of sanctions and political um, situations, um, you know, the advice actually isn't at a like, crazy high level like it would be with Yemen where the entire map's in red and everyone's like, don't go there because it's a war zone. Mm-hmm. And I think you just have to break that down like, is it a war zone or is it just somewhere that has a bad perception because of politics? Um, and that's, that's where I draw the line. You know, I do a lot of research and a lot of these places where it just comes down to what's on the newsreel and what politicians are arguing over aren't actually places where you're in danger, but the war zones, of course, you wouldn't go to. Right. Okay. So you mentioned um, media representation. So one of the things that I was wondering about, obviously in traditional media, there's always been a, however thin line, but there has been like some sort of uh, responsibility and maybe some sort of someone behind the scenes that's checking the facts and checking Mm -hmm. everything that the people say. But now I have definitely noticed recently, not even bloggers, but like Instagrammers who, the example I'm thinking of is someone who went to Saudi Arabia and all in her Instagram post, she's wearing um, the traditional... Uh, headwear and everything and then she's got all these glamorous posts where she's talking about how great Saudi Arabia is and how we should all go and how it's misunderstood but it's just sort of like a comment on Instagram which seems to me like quite a throwaway irresponsible comment Mm -hmm. versus you obviously do quite in-depth coverage of places and quite in-depth advice I was just wondering how you felt about I guess it's sort of people that use the world as a backdrop and then maybe they do persuade some other young Instagrammer to go to Saudi Arabia, which I just, I don't know. I want to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't like either. I've, I've seen something similar with North Korea on mm, yeah. Instagram. It might be the same person, but um, I think when you are an influencer, whether you're an Instagrammer or Twitter or whatever, whatever you are, you have a responsibility to give a rounded view but what we have a problem with in our industry is that it's new still even though it's been around for a few years um 
but not everyone's media trained and not everyone's from a media background. And I feel that like those of us who are do understand the um, responsibility um, and the ethical need to give a rounded view and to provide as much factual information and honesty as we can. But unfortunately, we're in an industry where a lot of those people don't even understand that or know that that's a thing and know that that's what's to be done. Then on the other hand, you have the people who have been paid to go to those destinations. And again, because of a lack of media knowledge, they don't understand that um, that they still have to be honest. But because they've been paid, they feel that they need to glamorize it and to sugarcoat it. And oh, isn't Saudi Arabia such a good place? And where you could say like, yeah, you know what? This is incredible landscape in Saudi Arabia. Like, look at look at this backdrop behind me. However, you know, it's still a country with a troubled human rights issue. And this is something that I'm trying to talk to people about while I'm here and like, what can I see and what do I feel? Um, and a lot of people just don't have that balance at all. And it's mm -hmm. a shame, but I think a lot of it comes down to journalistic integrity, which 75% of the industry don't have because they're not from that industry. Right. Um, so yeah, so I was looking on your blog last night and some of your posts are obviously very intense um, like factual guys, do you, how do you make sure that the information you put out there is totally correct? Um, it's a mixture of, I wouldn't say rely on one source. So mm. I read news articles um, and that could be anything from, like I love like New York Times in-depth articles and the over, overviews that they have. Um, and it could be what other people have said on on their blogs to get a view of what people are kind of maybe not understanding. Um, it's just a mixture of different sources to find out what the gaps of knowledge are and what people are saying and also what the current political state is. So, for example, with posts on Cuba or Iran, it's really important that I'm always keeping up to date with like any sanctions from the US. Yeah. And so it's it's just an ongoing like research process. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I'm very aware of what people are also saying that that's not true or that's exaggerated or dramatized because that's just as bad. And it's like, right, these specific elements are exaggerated. Like, how do I talk about it truthfully and factually just so it lays out all the information? And the second thing I try to do is, which can be really time intensive but it's kind of worth it in the end is to condense really like long swathes of history into like one or two paragraphs at least the reader is seeing how to travel to that country but has a snippet of the history and why a particular thing happened um so yeah there's that too it's just, it's a mixture of things um I was reading the one in particular about your guide to choosing whether to travel to Israel and there was some interesting comments in there and I remember when I went to Israel and I got a lot of comments on uh, Instagram just because I mean I'm, I assume I'm like the average traveller where I had a basic knowledge of what was happening there but I didn't have an in-depth knowledge and I couldn't come back to these people with totally informed uh, replies yeah. but I guess that's kind of what your 
in this um, area that you've made a success of yourself in blogging and travel, I guess you have to stay on top of all these different places and everywhere you go is another subject that you have to understand and be able to reply to people in a thoughtful way. Yeah, and also I think there's a lot, there's a lot in owning up to not knowing everywhere about that place and there's only so much you can educate yourself on and how much you can find and and I think with somewhere like the Israel-Palestine issue there's so many times I've said to readers or I've said to the people who incite arguments on comments because that's the one destination where you'll never like you'll 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 never be able to post something without someone trying to start an argument it just that is the destination it is and you know that as well and um, and there's so many times when I've actually turned around and said, you know, I'm not a qualified historian. I'm not a qualified expert on the region. All I'm telling you is this is the history that I know and I've read and I've researched. And this is my experience on the ground. If you choose not to go there yourself to get your own experience, that's not my problem. But it's my I feel it's kind of my job to encourage people to try to see a destination in the best way possible. And that is by being there while being informed of the history. So, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of the times you you can't sit there and say, oh, just because I have a travel blog and I have a vested interest in history and politics, therefore I'm the expert. No, I'm just encouraging a thought process and I'm, I'm encouraging a way of travel. But most of the time I will happily say, look, I'm not... I'm not the world history expert on this. Um, so, yeah, you, you have to, you just have to be honest and put your hand up that you can't answer every question and you don't have the answer, but you can encourage a way of looking at it. Yeah, definitely. So why have you, why have you chosen to travel like this? Like you could just go and lie on a beach in Tenerife. Why do you go to <laughs> North Korea and Iran and all I think it's just something I've always been drawn to or curious about. My, my parents said to me that when I was really young, I was always fascinated by people. Um, and I always was just really into history. Like that was my favorite subject at school. Um, and I guess that history combined with a natural curiosity about uh, people and differences and what's around me kind of comes together and then yeah you get older and you have the privilege to travel and so it naturally marries up to those kind of destinations I mean there's other times when yeah I'm happy to go to a beach in Spain it's just as beautiful a break um but on the other hand you know I have a personal interest in in traveling to these kind of destinations and what I get from it is um is my personal experience from what I've read in history books and and that's what comes together I think. Um, how do you travel when you get to, when you go to these places because I think North Korea and Iran do we Brits have to be in a tour group right? Yeah, or, yeah. Um, in Iran it's um, Brits, Americans and Canadians have to be in the tour group um, and again coming back to your point about always being on top of the information um, it could be that next year they open it up to Canadians but not Brits so you've just got to be aware of the changes um and um North Korea there's I mean there's no way any nationality can go without a tour group um Mm. and now the Americans can't go at all so um yeah a lot of these times you 
you are guided and you have to be guided. And I think that's another point to people who might be a bit afraid or unsure of how to go about it is that there are tour companies um, who facilitate this and look after your visas and your entry and flight details and all of this other stuff. And there's always somebody chaperoning you on the ground. Sadly, in North Korea, it's 24-7. You can't leave the hotel ground. Someone's with you the whole time. Whereas in Iran, um, it was, okay, because of my nationality, I had to go in a tour group. However, there was, you know, in the afternoon when we weren't looking around something, you could you could go wander and do your thing in that town. Um, mm. You just you know you just have to be registered under somebody at a particular place right, so okay. there's still some flexibility in some destinations even if you're in a tour group like I think North Korea is the only place where you're going to be watched the whole time maybe the Saudi Arabia trips are the same I'm not sure I haven't been but um yeah I just think it takes a lot of pressure off people who are curious but scared because you know these companies are doing that um, the only difficult thing is choosing the most ethical ones or the people that do it the right way. But uh, yeah, most of the you, time. You work with G Adventures for that, right? I do, yeah. I mean, North Korea, they don't go to North Korea. That was a, um, there's a few groups that go there, but in terms of general worldwide travel where I want to get into these kind of more deeper complex places, then yeah, it's with G Adventures. Um, I'm actually going to Tibet with them next week, I leave. So um, yeah. And they have a good ethos with how they work with people on the ground and where the money goes. And that's another important factor that I want to bring into my writing. So it is about support the people. Don't assume that they're a certain way because of media and their government. But also it's like, you know, putting your money in the right place and making sure that you're traveling, traveling in the most ethically sound way. And so when you choose a tour company, it's good to go with someone like that, with someone like G who's like, okay, you know, we have your, your guide is likely to be from that country that you're traveling in um, and your money's going to local people, local projects and local charitable efforts with good social impact. And then it all comes together well when you're trying to look deeper into a, a place and what's happening and how people are helping each other. Yeah, it's so good going with um, like a trusted company like that with a dedication to responsible tourism because then they can take some of the decisions and some of the stresses away from you because I think one of the troubles obviously in being a tourist is you never really know where your money's going whether it's yeah. going to help the person whether it's just funding something huge and not ethical but exactly. I guess when you travel with a company like G then they have already done all the research and they only will only work with ethical people and you know that your money is doing the best for the destination that you're going to so I think that's such a good thing to look yeah. out for. And also in, on certain trips, you often get to go and visit a project um, as a means of saying, like, this is where tourism money is going to. It's going to projects like this. This is one of many. But in some instances, you go and get to visit that project, whether it's a woman's project, whether it's a, a weaving project, um, anything. Um, there's lots of things going on. And I think that's really important, too. People want to see where their money's going. And on the one hand, you can do that by going to a local market, um, eating locally, all of these things. But on the bigger scale, when you're paying a tour company a lot of money, when you go to these bigger projects, then I think there's something great in people seeing like, oh, OK, my money really is going to a greater good. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the best I can on the ground. 
but here's other things that my money goes towards so that's really cool too yeah it's definitely important in this I think a lot of people are trying to move to a more responsible tourism model yeah it's good because tourism helps so many people but it also damages a lot of people so yeah in a tour company it's definitely good to look for one with a responsible ethos yeah Yeah. so um you said you're going to Tibet next what made you choose Tibet I've actually always wanted to go there and when I went traveling for the two-year plan that I had um I tried to get into Tibet twice I was booked on a trip um because I was in Nepal for a long time and then um the Chinese turned around and said okay no one's going and and then um it was like okay fine I went and did my Everest base camp trip and um came back to to like Kathmandu right okay traveled around a bit and then after a few months um the rules started changing again so it came down to um only five people of the same nationality can go and then it was like we can have so many people in a group but they have to be of these nationalities it got really crazy um and that's always sadly been the the risk of Tibet is that you could book a trip and then six months down the line when you're due to go on it the rules have changed um so (laughs) everything crossed the only the only bad thing that's happened this time um is that they've closed Everest base camp to bedside for visitors because of um, of the rubbish yeah. yeah so that's sad because I've been to the uh the the pool side um, so it would have been good, like I'm completely obsessed with with Everest Base Camp and like the emotion behind it. And I love mountains. And so, but I'm grateful that I've been on the Nepal side. But that's the only thing so far that's um, kind of changed on the trip. But also that's just what travel is. You have to adapt to what comes along. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in traveling to these places that you've been to, have you ever... Have you ever felt at risk? Like obviously um, they're presented as these dangerous places in the media, but have you ever felt unsafe at all? Not really, because I think because you're in a group a lot mm. of it, because you have to go and and so there's certain rules that come with that, um, and you have to you have to um, work with those rules as a group collectively. Um, so there is a risk if somebody in your group decides not to toe the line. But, um, but like in North Korea, we had one guy who was a history teacher. He was quite outspoken, but he was the one that was told, look, if, if, if you don't stop, you know, you'll be sent home. Um, wow. Didn't affect the rest of us. Um, so what was, he, what was he doing? Just talking too much or being argumentative? Yeah, I think it, he, after a while because obviously everything you're fed is is a certain is you know a very set narrative like every single group is told that thing yeah. and everything's built three times quicker than it was somewhere else and even turtles are grown quicker than they are anywhere else in the world like every, everything everything is a very distinct narrative and I think as a history teacher he found it even harder and I think at one point was like oh like you you know this is lies right you know this isn't this is happening <laughs> Um, and yeah, you're briefed. You have a full briefing in Beijing for like an hour before you go on the trip. Um, and that's one of the things it's like, you're going to hear things that are not right. And that are a bit annoying. And after a while you're like, yeah, I know you built that five times quicker than, than after Triumph in France, you know, right. but, um, yeah, I think he just got frustrated. 
but it didn't affect the rest of the group. It just affected him. And in the end, he took his warning and that was fine. Yeah. Uh, in Iran, it was the same. You know, you, you're told the rules or you're told where you need to um, dress even more conservatively in particular cities. And I think any well-run ethical tour company will give you everything that you need to know. And therefore, you don't feel unsafe or unaware and you know what to expect to the to the larger degree um and then it's just doing your own research spend spend that time at home you know it's like yesterday I was like oh should I buy a Lonely Planet for Tibet because I like kind of on the spot paper yeah uh, dates and geek stuff yeah, yeah, yeah in in the um comments and I completely didn't even think about this was um a woman who said um look you know it's a great it's a great guide um, but it'll be confiscated from you um, when you arrive in Tibet. It's a, it's a banned publication. It's a bit, you know, you're not allowed a guidebook. Oh, wow. I didn't know oh, that. Oh, cool. That's just before I, I um, you know, and it's, it's just these little things where, like, I'm doing my research and, and then I, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I didn't even think about that. But in my research, I realized, oh, okay, there's going to be things that are banned to take into Tibet. And now I know. Yeah. And you mm. can build on this kind of research. Mm. So what about the places where you've been um, by and travelled by yourself? Like maybe not the places that we would consider of danger, but maybe some that we don't even know anything about. Like you spent a lot of time in Armenia, right? I don't think I know anything about Armenia. I went to Armenia. I went Armenia, to... see, I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's said like that and we're saying it wrong. Um <laughs> Yeah, like Armenia and Georgia. I'm. I haven't done um, so much of Eastern Europe. It's something really high on my list. That I really want to dig into. And these and like the Caucasus is really interesting because of the history and and it's still like untouched in a lot of parts. Mm. Um, I did have an incident in Armenia in the very far eastern reaches, um, which um, as a solo female wasn't pleasant. And in the end. At the, well, at the time, this is a few years ago now, I chose not to write about Armenia because I felt as if that incident would cloud talking oh, the country oh, generally. Um, and it was, I actually spoke to, um, you know, Steve, uh, our friend Steve, ex, ex-editor. Um, and I said to him, like, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I want to write about Armenia, but I'm not sure whether I need to mention this kind of basically like, like sexual assault situation. And and actually, he said, I think it would cloud the story, but it's your it's your choice. And mm. um, and in the end, I didn't. Whereas now I kind of feel like I could do a rounded piece on it. And I'm, I'm at peace with what happened and everything. So right. there's all these situations where you go to a country who whose cultures might be very like macho heavy and um, not pleasant for women um, and but you're going there for a completely different purpose. You're like, oh, you want to go hiking or you want to go to the cities. Um, and you always got to be a bit more on your guard because it's they're not necessarily destinations within that country that are heavily populated with tourists. So it's like anywhere, you've just got to be careful. Um, but you can't completely discount a country on that because there's so much beauty out there. Um, yeah. I think Eastern Turkey was another place that was really interesting. And... In my Turkey article, I actually write about how I disliked the westernized part of the country more because actually that that mix of of 
westernization in that part of Turkey with the resorts has actually ruined quite a lot of the mindset and a lot of tourists behave badly. And yeah, I wrote a lot about that. So my guide to Turkey is actually actually about this kind of cultural shift and um, how I actually enjoyed the the more like uh, like Kurdistan, Turkish Kurdistan. I actually enjoyed that a lot more. Mm. Um, whereas a lot of people be like, oh, I don't really want to go to Kurdistan because nobody really goes over that way. It's actually for me a lot more interesting. So yeah, research, curiosity, but ultimately instinct. Instinct is everything. Um, yeah. if you- if you go to a guest house and it immediately doesn't feel right leave if you feel like someone's following you get somewhere you know I've been followed in um the part of Turkey that people go to for Anzac Day oh yes and, it's popular um, popular park but it was the time of the year when none of that memorial stuff was happening and I did get followed to my guest house in a in a it was a one hour operation between two guys who were on their phones oh, uh, wow. standing, God. yeah and I still to this day feel like I don't know if they were human traffickers or I don't know what, what was going on. Um, but yeah, I had to make a strategy to be like, right, I'm going to stay at my place where I'm eating so that, you know, I don't immediately leave. And yeah, you just, it's, everything is about instinct. Like my instinct told me I was being watched from a, from a distance and it was true. And yeah, that really tells you everything. And you just have to be like, okay, right, what am I going to do? It's daylight. Okay. Do I tell the lady who works at the cafe? Do I, go back to my guest house and stay there for a bit. So, yeah, it's just always being being aware. I think we have to do that as solo female travellers anyway. Mm. How has that affected, like, your, your future travels? Or has that, have, have you ever thought, oh, I don't know about this travelling anymore. It's too dangerous. No, I think, um, I mean, I've been followed off a bus in London even. So it happens. Yeah. Every, and I think we talk about this a lot and... Like, you know, you've, you wrote that big article too. I think you can't just apply it to this only happens when I'm traveling. This mm. happens every day. Like the, the misogyny, the, the bad things that happen, assaults, every, it happens every day in our everyday lives, in our countries and when we go abroad. I think if we only apply it to traveling, that's really naive. Um, I think the only thing that tends to happen is that we get into a holiday mode or we get into a traveler mode or we might let our guard down a bit more because we're excited and we feel free and and we're not in our normal routine. I think that heightens the risk a little bit, but I wouldn't say it's any different to to some of the stuff that's happening at home. Mm. Yeah, I think that too. It's just, it depends on the way you look at it. The world is dangerous or the world is, yeah, I mm. like... Every, everywhere is as dangerous as each other, really. Just gonna, yeah. don't know, try and avoid it. <laughs> as yeah, much as then you just, like you end up meeting like really beautiful people whose cultures are a complete flip on your own, and then you just have that realization like, this is why I'm traveling. I'm traveling for good beach time and mm-hmm. um, break. But ultimately, there's so many good people that outweigh the bad people. Yeah, definitely. And you've said that that's one of your biggest things about traveling, meeting the people, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just naturally curious. And obviously, you know, there's only so much you can ask people, like you're not there yeah. to like, into their lives. I think, again, that might come down to a, a an ethical journalistic balance of how you obtain information if you know that um, it's going to help with your article on somebody's culture um 
but yeah, sometimes it's just like anything, you know, you, you walk into a, a tea shop and you strike up a conversation with somebody random and it ends up being the most beautiful thing that happened to that day. Even if you went to the most popular, beautiful temple, that interaction with that person ends up being the thing that you remember the most. Mm. So what sort of sources do you use to find out about the history and cultural importance of a destination? Is it all online? You said about having the book. What um, is Lonely Planet your favourite series or is there any others you can recommend? Or um, I don't rely on, I mean, I think Lonely Planet's good just to get history on the go. Like any of those guides, Lonely Planet, Rough Guides, everyone's got a preference yeah. um, as to which one they use. I think it's like a tribal thing, isn't it? Like you're one or the other or... Or I think sometimes for really more um, offbeat destinations, like brat guides are very good for people that are more kind of going to nature areas. And I know they're good for certain destinations like that. Um, Do you ever read like novels to do with your destination? A lot of people say about Shantaram associated with India. Yeah, I used to do that a lot. Um, And nowadays what I try to like doing is um for example like when I went to South Africa um you do a lot of reading prior to that and then when you're there that like that's one destination where you definitely leave with like 10 times more questions than you had when and you're talking to white South Africans and you're talking to black South Africans and you, you get all these different perspectives and then what I did when I left like my mind was just I was kind of like overwhelmed and upset and like what's happening and is it changing and is it changing in the right way and all of these questions and then when I was at the airport I found this book which was uh, it's called like the brief history of South Africa brief being the book is actually still quite big <laughs> um and I bought that and um you know read parts of it I still need to read it fully um and so these kind of books are also good as well so mm. Rather than novels are really great for for like context and kind of some cultural insights. Um, but I think some of those solid history books can also be good to have on hand as well if you need to look up a particular um, timeline of events or something like that. Mm. So obviously a lot of your travels are to satisfy your own curiosity, I presume. But yeah. what with your blog and with your work, what um are you hoping to achieve for like generations now and generations in the future? What would you like people to think after seeing how you travel? I think it's more about an encouragement and to step out of your comfort zone and if you do have a curiosity about a certain place that you feel is dangerous or off limits to understand that in the majority of cases it's it's not that off limits um there are ways to go there there are people who want to take you there and show you that destination um I think our job as travel writers as you know true travel writers is is to talk with people not talk at them this isn't Mm. about dictating how you should travel like you should go to these places Otherwise, you're not traveling properly. It's not about that at all. It's, um, it's, it's encouragement. that If you want to do that, if you have a curiosity about it, here's how you could do it. Not mm-hmm. how this is you should travel like this. So I think it's just encouragement, having an open dialogue. Um, you know, if people do want to argue when it comes to a destination like Israel, then 
accept it, let it happen, and then choose to join the dialogue. Um, and yeah, just curiosity, openness, encouragement. Nice. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the other biggest things that stops people going to these destinations is, I guess, fear media rep and media representation, but also the money because tour tour groups can be kind of expensive. And if you're going to different, more difficult places, it can be kind of expensive. Do you have any tips on how you've managed to make it work for you? Like I know you work in PR and saved for a long time didn't you how yeah do you have any financial tips on how people can save money make money traveling anything to help them get to these places yeah I think when I first saved to leave for a long time and as I said you know like my first two destinations were two expensive destinations for like Mongolia to overland and North Korea so what I did was um I was lucky at the time that I was freelancing and making a little bit more more money freelancing as a PR than I was working in a set job. But even so, it was um, every week or every month that I was paid, I would try to put away as much as possible. Like it wasn't about, it could be that you choose to put away a hundred pounds or 200 pounds, but I was really trying to save as much as I possibly could mm. uh, and it's just little things like you you hear people talk about it quite a lot in terms of um you know you don't need to buy new clothes and shoes and handbags all the time and you know I'd have friends who would be like oh I really wish that I could afford to travel like you yet they had a Louis Vuitton handbag and it, God, it's just yeah. about priorities you know it's like you could like the cost of your Louis Vuitton handbag could have actually paid for that that whole talk yeah so it, it's all about people's priorities um and that's the thing, I think if you really, really want it, you will find a way to save that money. And even if it takes you three years to save, to go to North Korea or Tibet or Antarctica or whatever you want to do, you know, that's sometimes how it is. It took me a long time to save that money. It didn't take mm -hmm. me six months, it took me years. And um, and if that's your dream trip, then it's going to be worth the wait. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So how do you think you've managed to make all this traveling to misunderstood places how have you managed to make that your job I think with most things and it is a bit cliche it's it's passion I think if someone has a passion for a topic and genuinely believes in what they're doing and genuinely wants to help others then it just naturally comes together that it works I think if it's forced and there's a lot of things now like the new buzzword in travel at the moment is to add sustainability to your blog and to right. add this to your blog and add um oh you know now now I do responsible travel and slow travel and sustainability and don't choose something because it's a buzzword like work on it because you genuinely care about that topic yeah. whether you're like you know you see a lot of the foodie writers the people that are doing well are people who genuinely wake up and think about food and fooding culture and what it means and how do Italian grandmothers do this differently? And you know, right. it's all of these different things. And you can just tell that people have a genuine, genuine passion. And so that's that's it really. It's just care about something enough that that you're that you're not forcing it. You're not mm. you're working on it, you're just doing it. Mm. And so the big passion of your blog that makes it stand out in a sea of billions of others is this idea of changing perceptions. And that's also that's with these destinations, but it's also with 
I don't know, more normal destinations, isn't it? Like at the moment you're work, well, living and working with Austria to show people that it's not just schnitzel and Mozart and yeah. Sound of Music. So I know you've been working with them for a year, for the last year, to show all the different sides to Austria and all the different amazing things that there are there, right? Yeah, and a lot of that even comes down to sometimes perception changing isn't always about um, somewhere that is perceived as dangerous um, or has a hideous reputation it can also be um about seasonality or mm. you know like for example some people would go to Lech in Vorarlberg just to ski and it's known for its incredible um ski resorts but you know what's it like in the summer and there's a lot of flip you can do in Austria in, in certain regions where they're completely different in the summer or the, like the the shoulder seasons um, so there's a lot in that as well to show people that there's a different part of it because it is known for like, um, you know, you'll hear a lot of people, oh, it's just old people that go hiking or, um, you know, and it's like, no, it's not actually like, you know, when, you, when you're here, like everyone's doing it and everything is either family led or there's lots of young people doing stuff or you can bungee jump off a bridge, you can go tubing in a gorge, there's canyoning, there's all this like crazy fun adventure stuff as well. So it's not just oh there is hiking you know yeah. so it was to change the perception of adventure it was to change perception of when to go and where to go in different seasons so yeah you can apply it anywhere when you want to kind of uh flip something on its head and that's ultimately what it is it's like my my background in PR what I like to say it's I try to combine storytelling with um like place branding Right. Uh, I, I want someone to, if I hear someone say, ah, I'm not sure about that, or, or, oh, isn't it just known for that? And I'm like, okay, my job is to show you otherwise. And I want to show you otherwise. So yeah. it's all about place branding is, you know, is a powerful thing. And I think it ties into what we were saying earlier about people wanting unique holidays. Like you don't necessarily have to go to North Korea to have a unique holiday. <laughs> you can go to Austria and like a different part of Austria that, yeah people don't know about and so it's great that there's people like you showing showing everyone that there is more to these countries than what we've been fed before exactly that's good so yeah I'm I mean, going to... always... sorry no, I'm saying there's always a tourist narrative that exists in every country and and the budget's always put towards certain places or certain activities but I think a lot of that's changing now because like you say people People want different things now. We're, we're, we're past the brochure holiday yeah. stages. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you're going to Tibet next, and that was a big dream. Is there any other places that are really high on your list that you're desperate to go to? Um, I'm also going to Egypt, um, nice. which might not seem these days to be, like, that different. But obviously, after everything that's happened there in the past few years, um, the the perception of it did change and it was kind of seen as dangerous um and my best friend even said to me like oh you know I want to go but then you know there was that bomb on the bus and it's like okay so people do have a different perception of Egypt now as a destination it's known but we we need to bring back that kind of tourism love to a destination that has so much going on you know so much things to see and do and understand um so Egypt is um in a few months 
Yeah, it's so um, sad how countries' um, reputations can just be destroyed with what, well, not it wasn't one incident, but with a few incidents and they've had years of being such a big place and so well loved and then as soon as that people are scared to go yeah and I think it's all down to geography as well you know it's people don't understand mm. that certain parts of Egypt nothing happened nothing happened there I mean obviously the, the, the protests will happen in the big cities like Cairo but people don't understand that in in using that as an example it's it's actually like the Sinai that has it's a particular area that's affected by by violence or by a skirmish or by an act of war, something, whatever's happening in that particular nation. And with Egypt, it's very much away from where highlights are, where attractions are. So it's just an understanding of geography. The media doesn't break that down. They just, yeah, they just pick the whole country and say, right, that place is bad and that whole country is where bad things are happening. Um, so yeah, I think it's really sad that places like that can just be completely turned over. Mm. Yeah, it is. Um, well, I hope Tibet and Egypt are everything that you want them to be, and I'll look out for your stories. Where can listeners find you if they want to follow along? So uh, the website is bordersofadventure.com, and all of my social media handles are under the same name. Okay, I'm just going to say that again because I think it might have cut out. So it's bordersofadventure.com. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, just so they heard. Um, okay, that's brilliant. Well, have a lovely day in Austria and thanks for joining me. Thank you. Bye. See you. So, what did you think? I really want to go to Iran and even more so now. I think what Becky was saying about travelling in a tour group made total sense too. Pick a good one and at least you have a bit more of an idea that your money is doing some good. I think Becky's cultural and historical approach is a brave one. As I said in the chat, going to these dangerous destinations opened you up to a lot of controversy online and whether you should be putting yourself out there. I'm often asked if I'd go to this place or that place because of the laws, but you really wouldn't go anywhere if you only went to places you agreed with the laws and the rules. Challenge yourself, see what emotions, feelings and thoughts come into your head and go somewhere a little off your radar and see how it makes you feel. Thanks for listening today. I'll be back next week, but just me, myself and I. Speak to you then.